is an artist-run podcast from Level 5, a cooperative studio floor in the center of Brussels. In our podcast, we invite artists and other people to discuss which interests inspire their practice and how they work. Sometimes we also play sound and text pieces. Today we play a recording of a talk we've had, that is, the Chiva Ross and me, Bas Blase, with Ulla Sickle, dancer and choreographer. Ulla is also part of Level 5. The recording was made a while ago, so we also talk about events that already happened. Hope you'll enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Um, we're doing another Radio Level 5 interview today. Um, summer is approaching. It's also getting warmer in the studio. Um, it's sweaty. <laughs> sweaty interview here. Um, and today we're interviewing, and we, that is Bacheva Ross and me, Bas Blase, we're doing an interview with Ula Sickle. Hi. Hi. And Ula is a choreographer and dancer, maybe also? Yes. Yes. Um, and you've just came back from Vienna to perform a new piece of yours. And um, maybe it's interesting to start with that. And you have some audio trailers um, you've made. So maybe we could start listening to those and then uh, have a small idea of Sure. What you're doing? Um, yeah, I can just say that uh, the performance um, is a collaboration with uh, musician and composer Stina Janvin, um, who's a, yeah, a vocalist from Norway based in Berlin right now. Um, so what you're going to hear is an excerpt of the piece and uh, it's her composition performed live by uh, six performers, including myself, which was great. Uh, I'll play the intro one. So tell us about the performance where how does it look? How many people? What's the idea? Yeah, so as I said, it's a, a collaboration. What's the title again? The piece is called Echoic Choir, mm -hmm. and it's a collaboration with um, Stina Janvin, who's an artist I've worked with several times already, so it was quite nice to find each other back on this project. Um, it, the piece takes as a starting point um, a work of hers called Fake Synthetic Music, um, which fake is synthetic music. fake synthetic music. Yeah, which is um, uh, a solo uh, project that Stina did and later became an album, uh, where she tries to kind of work with, um, kind of create uh, the synthetic sound of like uh, digitally processed music, but with her live voice and the only with the only effect being a delay pedal. So she kind of works with psychoacoustics and creates this kind of pulsating um, rhythmical sound. And originally we were, she asked me if I would like to work on a, on a stage, staging a version that would be a, a choral version of this solo practice. So normally she works alone? Yeah, in this piece she does, I mean she's been touring it for the last four years. She's really solo with a delay pedal in her voice. It's pretty incredible. Um, musical uh, piece um, but then of course corona came and you know everybody got locked down and there was a, a, a real delay in a moment of reflection and um, we decided sort of through that moment to think rethink the piece and to think about how we could include as much as possible um, the measures uh, that corona <laughs> imposed how to include them as artistic parameters so I had to make a piece where we would not be sort of um, once again trumped by the pandemic but actually kind of use it to think artistically um, and one of the things we we were longing for after one year of postponing this project was the dance floor and finding each other kind of sweaty um, together in a kind of temporary collective situation which which the dance floor and the nightclub provides 
Um, so we decided to create Echoic Choir, which is a kind of more of a reflective, echoic um, um, kind of memory at a distance um, revisiting of rave, of, of like synthetic music, um, but kind of with more of a distance. Um. And I also saw on maybe your website or one of the websites that was like uh, giving some info on your piece. You, you, where, do you, did, where did you perform it? In Vienna? Uh, we did it in the Vienna Festwochen, which ah, yeah, yeah. is... Uh, right. So probably I saw it on their website, and there were some pictures taken by you, because it was credited Ulla Sickle, in, back in the 90s from some rave parties or something. Yeah. And I was just wondering, is this something you would often do back, <laughs> back in the days or still or before yeah. pre-corona? Yeah, I mean, the, the piece kind of deals with our, our memory of the last year, I mean, prior to the pandemic, but of course a longer memory of like our best nights in the clubs or something. And for me, this these photos from 1995 were like, It was not my first rave, but it was like at the time when I was going out a lot. And I, I, I know that I was very affected by the visuals and by the sound. And I think a lot of my work goes back to that period. Like I reference it a lot when I'm making a light design for a project or setting up a performance. Um, and it was really funny because I kind of dug out these negatives and I'd never enlarged them. And uh, we were looking for a press shot. And then suddenly it was like, oh, wow, these photos from 1995 are like super well preserved. and. Um, let's use them for the, the press shot. So the whole idea of the echoic memory was even in that kind of process of myself, like digging back into my files um, and looking for stuff. So how do you create a rave uh, atmosphere within the constriction of coronas? Yeah, the, so the piece is actually um, six, it's made with six performers. Um, and the casting of the people in the piece was quite important because in fact, the whole vocal material, like the whole sound material that you hear is our six voices. I think at, there's only one moment when there's like a, a, a kind of kick drum that comes in like two thirds of the way through the piece, but everything else is our live vocals. Um, and the idea with Stina that we had was to uh, spread these six people out in space and put the audience between us, kind of like you would imagine a socially distanced dance floor, like a grid. Um, and then we would be kind of live PA, so we would be like a, uh, how do you say, like a multi-channel setup in a club. So you would hear the sound literally coming from our bodies, and um, so the audience would be kind of immersed in the sound with us. So, so let's dig in a little deeper. So um, Stina was doing sort of the mixing live, or sh how? So how did it work? You were. Six people performing, dancing. Stina and myself are in the piece, so we're we're on the dance floor with with the four other performers that we yeah. chose. And you sing, you make noises. Yeah, we we decided to work finally with amplification, so everybody's voice is amplified. But um, Stina composed a kind of score for us. Um, <clears throat> different parts of the score are referencing different things, <clears throat> but there's a part of it which is working with a kind of medieval hocket structure. Uh, medieval, a uh, hocket is a, a melody which is kind of subdivided between many voices, but not in layers like a kind of, kind, you know, this kind of uh, harmonic structure, but rather literally like note per note. So it's like ha 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 ha. And that melody would be like between the three of us, for example. You would sing one note, I would sing the other. And so it almost sounds like an echo also. Yeah, so it would create this kind of feeling also when you were in the space that the sound was coming and ping-ponging from different angles. So there was a, a big section like that and then there's there's another section which is a little bit closer to fake synthetic music in the sense that there's more delay in the kind of treatment of the sound so it creates ah, like a more of a kind of echoic version of, of that. So that's a part which is more um, like taking excerpts from different songs and then playing with the echoic. This is also how it sounds during the performance for people. Yeah, yeah, listening. yeah. So how, how is it recorded? Um, or this, how is this recorded? It was recorded, I mean, we all have microphones, so we are basically like... Um, On you. Yeah, we're, we're wearing microphones and we have a sound engineer. Mm -hmm. um, oh. 
who is kind of uh, mixing, yeah, the level levels and and modifying the sound. Maybe I play one more. Okay. Because um, um, this is referring to uh, this melody that we later used. Um, it's a hocket. Maybe you can just walk us through the visuals. We get into the space and and what do we see? You. Um, so the performance took place. This was like the live premiere, by the way, because we did have like a kind of COVID online premiere <laughs> sometime in April in uh, Switzerland in Bern, um, which was a very different experience because we were uh, just there with cameras and it was a kind of live stream. This was the first uh, live experience of it. Um, so we were playing in a in a huge factory space, and uh, we kind of set up the space with these lights on tripods um, that are um, kind of club type lights. I mean, it's a kind of lighting that's LED based that's pretty pretty new still. Um, and out of that, we kind of created the demarcated the space like this grid that I was talking about, this socially distanced dance floor. Um, and then at the last minute, we had to have stools because we decided to have a public of 80 people per night, which was kind of the maximum, you, you know, 50 would be the maximum standing public, which was our ideal. And so we, we added these kind of bar stools. So you have these, these kind of lights on stands and the bar stools, and we are the all in the space. The lights are like poles, right? They're very erected. Yeah, right? they're like, uh, actually, they're like microphone stands. Yeah, yeah. The lights are attached to the microphone stands and you come into the space and we're already there and we're singing that intro that I played earlier on as people come in. It's kind of a shepherd's tone, like a sliding uh, glissando. That what are you feels. wearing? We're wearing um, amazing latex costumes uh, that were, was, were made for us um, by a uh, yeah, very talented uh, duo that go under the name of Wang Consulting. Um, and they, yeah, the idea to, to work with latex was came very late in the project, but the, uh, it was kind of nice, uh, like a wing to the fetish wear of the, of the dark room of Berghain or something, but still um, we, we had more loose cuts and more like sportswear, so it was a kind of paradoxical use of the fabric, um, but also very like, like a second skin or like a sweaty kind of second skin feeling of, of the club. And I think it was also nice to emphasize because you have to imagine that nobody could touch, you know, we can't be close, everybody's two meters distance, uh, including the performers from each other. So um, I think it was nice to play with this kind of desire to touch and, and inability to touch or be close. So they kind of changed their forms because they become more and more sweaty while the, yeah, the, the, the duration of this whole performance is? It's around 45 minutes. 45 minutes. The latex really sticks to the skin, so it kind of bonds with your skin, and it's a natural material, so it, it's actually quite pleasant. Like I, <laughs> I thought it would be like a terrible feeling, but... What are the colors? Uh, it's mainly skin tones, mm -hmm. um, kind of between like uh, kind of transparent black, pale, uh, pink. There's also kind of natural uh, latex color, which is a bit yellowish. Um, and how did you choose your performers? Um, the audition process was interesting. I, I, did, I like sometimes to do open calls. Um, so I kind of launched this open call in the middle of the pandemic and I got like 70, 70 applications. Uh, Stina and I went through. And, and what did you look for? Specific like dancers who would also be able to use their voice? Or yeah, that was the, the premise was like you could be a musician who had some ex movement experience or you could be a dancer who had some vocal experience. Um, and then we asked for people based in Berlin. That was mainly due to the pandemic, mm -hmm. just to kind of stay close um, to where Stina was based and uh, to not have too many traveling issues. And then, yeah, we just look for for personalities that could we could imagine 
working with, that inspired us, but also we could imagine forming a group with, because I think it's a very different thing than when you're looking for like soloists or something. Um, there were some ideas already, like we had already some people in mind, but it was nice to do the open call as well, just to meet a wider mm -hmm. um, group of people. Yeah. It was it was quite I have to say like as far as open calls go it was pretty exceptional because I think due to covid many people were home and didn't have work or had things canceled so there was like like just so many interesting people it was really really difficult to to choose. And when did you start the project? Um I started f like we did the whole audition process in February. Right. And okay, I started so. working in uh, end of February, beginning of March. Is that a regular time scale for you to work on projects, like a couple of months? This one was like super short. Yeah. It was really unnaturally short. And I think it, it had to do with the idea that it would be like a staged concert. So, I mean, I'm a choreographer, right? And I'm talking a lot about music in this first, uh, <laughs> in this interview. Um, I think because Dina had approached me and there was this idea that, um, working on maybe with something pre-existing or something related to something she had done, we thought, okay, we can do this in a shorter time, um, which in fact was a, was a bit of a, uh, I think it became really a creation from scratch. So in fact, we did like an amazing amount of work in a really short time. So how did you really work with the choreography? How do you... How did you approach it? What's the story that you were telling there? Yeah, well, for me, what was really interesting is that we were referencing techno and the 4-4 beat and this kind of, you know, pulsing music. And at the same time, Stina had proposed a lot of um, irregular counting patterns because she's she really likes this kind of um, more floating harmonies. And and so I, at some point, I just realized, like, the body has to be the 4-4. Like, we need somehow to feel that that kick underneath, but we we're like really resisting for a long time to have anything like actually synthetic inside. Like we wanted everything to be our voices. So I started to work on this idea of like the body is the kick, the body is the pulse. Um, so for a long time, it was just really simple, like stepping patterns and pulsing and kind of <clears throat> bringing that groove just like really simply through the body, even in an audible way that you would have the so you would always sort of stick to this four to four pattern, but then Stina would like mix in in the in the sort of yeah the the piece different kinds of rhythms. Is yeah, right? the me the melody pattern that she brought was like a was kind of a floating melodic. I think it was like thirteen beats or something. So we had to kind of at some point we had to kind of put it into the grid, which was an interesting um, process. But there was like, I mean, she likes to work with a lot of the offbeat counts and stuff. Yeah. But at some point, the we also worked on, um, like, I, I worked on this kind of rave shuffle steps, uh, which come a lot from Australia. But there's also like the gabber is like the the more hard, heavy stepping of like from the, from um, Holland. Mm -hmm. So there, at some point, I did a research into these kind of stepping patterns, and we learned some different patterns. So. It goes from a very simple pulse to these more complex um, rhythmical patterns. And the interaction between the dancers is uh, the performers, it's only vocal or is there some kind of a physical? Uh... The thing is that we're spread out in space so mm -hmm. we can't actually be in each other's spaces, which was one of the regulations at the time. Um, now it's a little bit more flexible, but we can't actually meet in space because we would have to cross the audience space. So we are like quite separate and isolated, but I think what's kind of interesting is that we meet in the sound space, like because we do this hocket, I mean, if one note is not there, the melody falls. So you, we're obliged to like kind of meet in this virtual space, which is the sound. And um, that for me was really exciting and very challenging. For example, in, in Vienna, we were in this really echoing, like kind of acoustic space. So without even any delay, you could feel this kind of reverb happening. Um, and so to find each other in a precise way somewhere in, in the middle was, was like really about a, a lot of precise listening and... Um, 
And you said you were always, like, always someone was singing, or like, all six of you were constantly making and producing vocal sound like things. Yeah, I mean, it was. Was it like was everything sort of creating a sort of harmony between all the performers, or were there like solo moments or like more like conflictual moments between? Like on purpose, right? Like between the different uh, participants. Because um, what happens in a club is like, you know, you're in this sort of shared moment with everyone. At the same time, you you can be very much sort of focused inward. Um, I think we played with that. Like there were moments where we were very synchro or where we were building this, um, like the shepherd's tone at the beginning is this kind of everlasting note, which feels like it's always going up. So we definitely had to build that together. Um, and then like the the hockets, which is like this collaborati- collaboration to make a melody. <laughs> um, but then there were moments where it got much more broken up and chaotic. And maybe I could play this piece yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This yeah, makes more sense. It. This makes sense here. Like uh, as an example, mm-hmm. this piece is um, fragments from many different kind of club songs, club anthems, um, and you can see already like it's a it's a completely different idea than the the pieces I've played until now. So, like, it just becomes more polyphonic. And I think that's for us the dance floor as well. You know, there's moments when everybody synchronizes, but then there's also, like, the majority of the time, everybody's kind of interpreting the rhythm and the music in their own way. So there's there's sections like, like this. There's also sections where we count in, like, very different counting patterns, and they kind of layer all together. So... One last practical. We were all they were all standing up. Yeah, I mean, all the time or the, the idea of the piece is that the audience is standing, like the performers are standing, yeah. and so you have this forty-five minute piece, and it's a challenge to you as a as a spectator as well. Like, do I keep standing? Am I tired? Do I do I start to pulse? Because I think yeah. there's something that happens almost proprioceptively that you right. you kind of get influenced, and before you know it, you're also nodding your head and nodding your you know. Um, shuffling with your your toe or your heel so that was a bit the concept like to kind of kind of get people seduce people into sort of feeling like they could join the piece um, and did they get to dance the audience well now in vienna they all had to sit on these bar stools ah, so right, 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 it was like yeah. the lounge version <laughs> <laughs> but um some people take some a people break sound, in Berkheim. yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like being at the bar in Berkheim. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But some people found that kind of charming as well, I think, and also confronting that they... No drinks, right? No no drinks. We, we discussed it, but um, I think some people found it charming, or like, not charming, but like kind of provoking in another way that I didn't expect, which is like, the chair was the reminder that they could not join. Yeah. And so that was also a cause for them to reflect on the situation and the desire and maybe the, yeah, the... the this more painful aspect that like we can't right now um, really do this. <laughs> so how does it feel this thing that you were you're planning this whole you this whole piece was kind of um, reflecting on pandemic, but you can actually show it when we're in the end of the pandemic when we're over it. So we're kind of uh, uh, reflecting on the reflection of. Uh, the rave in a way. Yeah, but it's funny because it's over, not over. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're still not allowed to go to a rave. Like, maybe mm-hmm. somewhere in Holland when everybody is testing, uh, <laughs> like, you know, before they join. It's. It, it, I think the party is still illegal right now and still considered dangerous. And, and I think that's interesting for me. Like, rave has had moments. Like, of course, it's become very commercial and, and it's, it's become a tool for, you know, creating income. <laughs> For, for some people, but there have been moments when the rave has been considered something dangerous, something to be outlawed. There's there's many legislations, yeah, some something um, 
something like a waste of time uh, you know those young people what are they doing wasting their you know and my the i've been working with um an author Persis Beckering um who who wrote an, a beautiful book that just came out called Excess um about the rave and like had kind of like mapped different epochs and we we actually quote a uh, um a bit of her text in the piece um which comes from a chapter she wrote about Berlin in the Bergheim. Um, but she she was saying, yeah, it it connects also to like other epochs, like the carnival, like the medieval period, you know, like the the kind of idea that like the carnival or the 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 festival or whatever would be dangerous for the authorities because that's where maybe a riot could come out or people synchronize and they start talking and then something, you know, something could could emerge from that. And I think the rave has a similar has had a similar reputation um at different moments so like for me that's interesting i think that's also yeah a nice connection between temporalities the juice trickles down your chin it's never tasted so intense you show it to whoever is sitting next to you whoever is sitting next to you licks it off You're surprised by the sudden appearance of a face in front of yours, a tongue protruding, growing in size. So um, I think this could be a nice lead up to, um, I don't know, discuss a little bit more how you use like street, dance, club culture, pop culture in your pieces. And I was wondering, did you ever before work in a similar fashion to like um you know introduce actually um the audience on stage and like work in between the audience because I, i find it funny as you said like it's nice if the audience is standard then you know you get this question of like do i join in or not and when i go and see dance plays very often i have sort of i am confronted with the fact that i'm seated And I really, my body, like, I feel some sort of, you know, um, um, an inclination to join in in a way or, like, use my body in it a way. And I, you know, of course you can't. So I love this idea. Also, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I was wondering, is this, like, specifically related now to, like, okay, we want to reflect on the pandemic and maybe do something yeah. that wasn't possible? Did you do this before? It's part of a longer trajectory for me, for sure, because I I feel a bit the same as you that I feel that dance ended up in the theater, but it it's not it doesn't belong like it's not the house, the right house for the theater, you know, for the for dance like it's I feel like the this 19th century construct this frame with the audience in front looking on the stage is like completely flattening the dimensionality of dance. And uh, dance arrived somehow there via via um, its association with theater mainly, I think. Um, but in fact, for me, like dance is best viewed when you can watch walk around it, <laughs> like very sculptural, and when you can be close to it, and when you can also zoom in on a detail. Um, so I've I've been working more in um, black like black box but kind of without chairs kind of settings where the audience comes in and finds their own space uh, or working in museum spaces. That's been the kind of transition for me. Um, and so a quick choir comes out of like a line of pieces that have been sort of non-frontal on purpose and like kind of affirming some other possibility to watch. Um, The last piece I did uh, was called The Sadness, and there the idea was that um, the performers are actually seated on the ground and the audience is also seated on the ground, so and in a circle, so the performers are in the middle and the audience around, so that my idea was that like as an audience member, you would also maybe lay, lean back like the performers and look across and see somebody else leaning back, and, and the performers do a lot on the ground, they also get up and move, and they would move through the public as well. So you would create this kind of low-lying, intimate space where um, we could speak about the sadness and climate change and whatever. That was the theme. So you're choreographing also the audience now. Yeah. Yes. And the idea is that the audience is also part. Um, and and that was also 
that became difficult because that piece was also premiered during during Corona. Um, it was last year then. Yeah, the piece premiered last year during Corona, and uh, for example, I couldn't put people on the floor. It was just not allowed. So they how, had what they had to be on chairs that were fixed and couldn't move. So um, instead of instead of having the audience on the ground, I had them sitting on chairs. Very awkward. Um, then, and the performers couldn't leave the little central space where they were performing, so they couldn't walk through the audience. So I, I'm kind of, I see these pieces like quite connected, you know, the one, this audience on the floor like the performers, and now the audience standing like the performers. And I hope that we can do these pieces again uh, in that way. Um, and then, so, you know, you bring a lot of these references in, or maybe a simple question is, as you said, you know, dance maybe does not belong in its essence in this sort of black box. Then why bring your choreographies back into these either black boxes or white cubes? Um, because I think at the same time, like for me, what's interesting about um, the white cube is that it allows you to look at something as a kind of artifact or like, you know, it's like the Duchamp thing, like you place a ready-made in the space and then it's like, it is it is itself and something else. Or it allows you to look at what that thing might be in all, in all the different kinds of ways. So I think, you know, I, I enjoy very much taking something almost ready-made out of pop culture or some kind of subcultural reference and, and putting it in in that kind of space where it becomes itself, but also something else, or it allows you to look at it in another way. Um, Did you ever work on like on a street or like outside of institutions that are dedicated to some form of art? I know. I mean, the street thing I find really difficult. I what my I have one performance called Relay, which is a piece with. Um, which is a piece that I'm going to do soon in Brussels again. It was made for the Brussels Nuit Blanche in 2018. And um, we have an outdoor version of the piece, which happens in public space. Um, when are you going to do this piece? It's going to happen on the 19th of uh, June in Wheels. The Wheels, yeah. Yeah. It, the, the piece we do in Wheels will be the indoor version with the uh, light and sound. Um, but the outdoor version we do is, is unplugged. It's just... Uh, um, it's actually a kind of choreography with one with a series of performers who take one, over one from another over several hours, but we basically stand in stillness and we work with the wind, almost like a sailboat. So we hold this huge black flag, two by three meters, and and kind of partner with the wind in this kind of very slow. Yeah, so it's, so maybe to describe it, it's very minimalistic, no? Like it's, it's very minimal. Yeah, the, especially performers also wear black. We wear all black. The flag is black. We stand in, in and this. It's like a very big flag. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge flag. It's good. What's two by three, two yeah. by three meters. Is it meters. heavy? I imagine it it's, to be super. It's not heavy, but you, you, we do like 15 minute rotations and we take one over from another. So we, the piece might last three or four hours, but we're always only doing 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Um, but it is quite minimal, especially the outdoor version. And what happens in public space, which is interesting, is that, you know, this small theater situation is created because people stop and then they ask and they look and they um so i do I, I do think it's possible like the public space thing um but it's not been a space that i've been very invested in and i think that has to do with the fact that i'm i've been interested in a kind of art historical canon of like dance and like how does popular dance inscribe or not in that like more kind of official canon so for me the the move is more like taking something from the street and put, bringing it to the theater or to the to the museum than than the opposite you know um, can we talk a bit about this piece um and the reference for this black flag um, uh for relay mm -hmm. for relay um yeah sure really it, it's a really weird and interesting story because uh I was doing a piece in 2016 called uh, Extended Play, which is very much also around pop themes. Um, and 
there was an idea to reference like this kind of huge anthem, uh, like kind of concerts, like the, this kind of Glastonbury or like, you know, these big, these kind of really big events. Um, and we were watching a lot of videos and there was all these kind of groupies with their flags, like with their national <laughs> With their national flag. A lot of national flags or I love you, whatever. And like, you know, but like many, many people with flags in the space. So I kind of started to look at flag choreographies and I thought for this moment in the piece where we sort of reference like the anthem, um, this kind of epic musical trope that it would be nice to have flags, that there was two people doing this kind of slow motion choreography with a black and a silver flag. Um, and then later I was doing an exhibition in, in Warsaw in the Ujazdowski Castle, Center for Contemporary Art. Um, and the curator asked me um, if, if I would be interested to like reference that moment for her in, in the museum space within my exhibition, which had to do more with kind of ideology and um, there was like some pop themes but it was also very text-based text um, uh, had more to do with kind of neoliberal ideology and how this comes on the level of bodies and language um, so they were they were dancing some Beyonce choreographies but they were also talking about I don't know farming in India and the farmers protests and things like that um, and at some point she said it would be super nice like would you be interested to bring that flag in and i thought yeah okay that really makes sense because um at the time in poland there were like mass protests taking place against the current government around like um the rights of women and the protest was called czarne protest or black protest um and one of the emblems was the black flag and so kind of just like by resituating it in the gallery, in that specific gallery, it sort of opened up a whole other reference. Um, but it also brought up this gesture of protest and of, so from the concert hall to this kind of more protest uh, in the street. To make a long story short, <laughs> in 2018, uh, um, the theme of the Nuit Blanche was protest and like 50 years after 68, um, so they asked me if I would be interested to do a piece, and then I thought about this black flag, um, which was kind of fi a five-minute excerpt in, in extended play, became a 10 or 15-minute solo in this exhibition I did. And so I decided to see if I could do it for six or eight hours. <laughs> that was the idea, like all night, Nuit Blanche. <laughs> yeah. um, so I asked a, a group of performers, I think we were eight in the end, we did six hours. Um, to and you were also one of them? I'm one of them, yeah. Again, I chose people that I, I felt close to, but also with kind of different backgrounds, even not all dancers. Um, and this, the idea was this one continuous solo, but performed by many um, people in a row. And we have a kind of relay, almost like, you know, the baton in a race, like a relay strategy for passing the flag, so it never stops moving. Um, and what were their instructions of how to work with the flag? Actually, it's about the tempo. Yeah. Relay is like almost a slow motion solo. Um, so we find this kind of just enough speed that the flag stays airborne without going too fast. Um, because we noticed that if you kind of wave a flag really quickly, it kind of exhausts itself really fast. It's like, wow, and then you're sort of like, eh. And I was like, how do I make this interest, like this attention stay over so long? Um, knowing that, you know, nobody will watch the f maybe the six hours, but at least people might stay for 30 or 40 minutes or one hour. And what happens when you stretch a piece that, uh, this piece from 15 to four, eight hours? What does it change in the piece itself and your, the way how you perceive I, it? I think the tempo was key. Um, because it becomes almost like meditative, uh, but also then the small micro differences between the different performers and how each person kind of approaches. The what were their approaches? How can you, well, uh, each can you person, describe? Well, each person brought a different, a different idea and, and figures developed out. So, so we had like liberty leading the people kind of idea, you know, these kind of images in our mind or like um, we had, I don't know, we'd looked at different like protest things and like 
Russia or like, you know, uh, even like the kind of Flemish flag waving <laughs> obsession. Like we looked at a lot of references, but I think what, what happened in a nice way was that people started to, through performing the piece actually, make their own association. So um, there's just different figures uh, in the piece that come out. Um, and how is your, your own personal relation to flags or like maybe even national identity? You're from Canada. I'm Canadian. I'm born in Canada. My mom is Polish. She's a first generation, like she, she immigrated from Poland when she was a teenager. Um, my father is born in Canada, but like we have Russian kind of ancestors. <laughs> and I've been living in Brussels for 20 years. So yeah, there's definitely this feeling of um, where do I come from? Like, <laughs> where am I? <laughs> um, also, Canada already is just such an, a diverse um, country, like in terms of nationalities and even language, you know, being a bilingual country. But do you have like any spe special sort of relationship to flags? I mean, I think for certain people or for certain cultures, at least, it's also it can be quite. Um, yeah, it's really a statement to use a flag. You know, yeah. certain people use flag. Like I wouldn't do that. Yeah. I, don't, I would never like hang a Canadian flag in my house or something and the Polish flag even less because it's really right now it's so linked to a really like awful kind of navel grazing uh, um, nationalism which is even becoming violent towards like so many uh, LGBTQ people, uh, women, like uh, um, ethnic minorities. <laughs> um, so it's it's just... It's, it's a negative thing for me. I think the idea with the black flag, though, is that it's hard to pinpoint. Um, it, it, it is also an object, in a way, and it's a chance to kind of mediate space like between a body and an object. And um, Could also have been a white flag. Yeah, it, but it, like it surrendering. Couldn't it yeah. couldn't have been a white flag because it would immediately be more specific. I think a black flag... It has so many meanings that it also cancels out, whereas a white flag would be kind of, you know, this uh, battlefield symbol of... Uh, uh, but a black flag is also very sort of protest vibe and almost aggressive, a very... Black is considered aggressive? A black flag is very often, I think, black costumes are very often used as sort of, um, you know, in protest of people who really go all the way and don't want to be identified with like anything so it's also a way to uh, sort of um, um, de-identify or something so it, yeah. it is I think totally true what you say like it sort of discards um, possible meanings that we project on it yeah. so you turn the raising of the flag or waving the flag itself to a political stand before it actually has a content I think for me I'm interested in this projection that people might have onto it. Mm -hmm. I'm not so interested in telling you what it is right. for me or um, or even what it might be for the performers or something. I can only say that it, it, it was inspired in a way by several different things that kind of got me there. Um, and the protest reference is there for sure. But I think what's interesting is that it's, it's a kind of projection um, screen for people's own thoughts and, and analysis of like national identity and feelings around that and and, um, and I think in general that's what I'm yeah. I'm kind of interested in more than like sort of pinning things down as like opening stuff up to to the audience's interpretation if that makes sense there's another thing I, I I'm curious about is when you decide to perform along with the other performance, like to perform your own piece, and when, because I saw a piece of Michael van der Velde recently, and he said it's the first time since five years that I'm on stage myself again, and I can imagine, like, after a certain amount of time not performing yourself, mm -hmm. it becomes a very different way of, of creating pieces. Like if you write something for yourself or your own body, it's probably different than maybe. Do <laughs> I, you do you perf always perform yourself? No, 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 I don't always perform. Actually, I, I, 
mostly don't perform, but then Relay was, I, I think there's maybe three pieces in my 10 years of making pieces that I'm actually performing in. Um, and funnily enough, those are the pieces where in some way the role is generic. So I realize when I'm casting a piece, I'm, I'm quite focused on finding those right people um, who, who are sort of essential to make the, the material, but also like the piece exist. And the pieces that I'm performing in have a little bit more of a generic side that you could, you could replace. Are you afraid that you wouldn't be able to meet up <laughs> the expectations of your own piece? Maybe. <laughs> To me, to me, it looks like you were working in a group, and then you don't want to be dominated. I don't. I I historic like I don't like in dance history the the kind of idea of the choreographer as the central yeah. agent performer, like uh, from which everyone should model themselves. And it's a very modern dance idea, and it's it's happened repeatedly in history. Like, I mean, the Martha Graham is one of the key. You know, she was just so like her body was so particular to that material that everyone sort of had to like men included kind of find her this painful body that she was like working with so i'm not into that for sure <laughs> and i really like to work with the performers to make the material for the piece so there's a certain amount of um, collaboration that happens on that level with with tasks and guidance of course um, so i think the pieces that i perform in myself have almost a generic thing. Like I said, the, the last piece is, is actually very simple. It's it's working with the pulse, it's working with some stepping. We we made a combined phrase with one gesture or two from each performer that we do at some point, which is a kind of more fluid phrase. Uh, so there's almost a democratic kind of uh, non-hierarchical um, building up of the material. Relay is the same. It's like there are now 12 or even 14 people, I think, that can do the piece. So depending on where we are in the world, um, I call up. <laughs> we make the cast uh, based on uh, on where we are. We recently did it in the Sahalvish Museum in Portugal, um, recently being September. <laughs> it feels... Uh, almost a year ago. <laughs> almost a year ago, yeah, sorry, recently. The last time we did Relay was in Sahalvish in Porto, and there I just worked with local dancers. Um, also because it was a difficult moment in Portugal, and a lot of people weren't working, and it didn't make sense for me to come with this cast from Brussels. So, yeah. So there is something that this role can be passed around, and um, kind of like that as well. I have one last uh, question. That I'm really curious. You're in level. You're in level five as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we're in um, Bacheva's and your studio yeah, at sure. the same yeah, time. <laughs> uh, what does it mean to work? Uh, maybe it's a twofold question. First of all, what does it mean to work for you in an environment where they're mostly visual artists? And they're second, actually quite performance here. Yeah, I mean, but you don't really see them because the Maybe visual you see, but uh, there true, are yeah. quite a few performers. Yeah. In this. and then the follow-up question. Maybe that's then the more uh, specific question. Like, how? What? What does the studio mean for you? How do you work in your studio? What do you do? What kind of um, place does it have in the trajectory of creating a new piece? Um, actually, I I am really like thrilled to be in level five and I find it a super nice yeah that's, yeah. that's why you asked that question right <laughs> it's super nice to be part of the community here and um, to have like the feeling that I'm working alongside other artists um, I really appreciate um, visual artists because the idea of a studio practice is so like ingrained and in so many practices of, of artists from very different media and you really feel that there's this concentrated environment of people coming in and doing their daily business or tasks, uh, working in their studio, coming, whether it's washing paintbrushes at the end of the day or, <laughs> or uh, you know, coming in for meetings or editing or whatever they're doing. And I think that in dance it's a bit missing because, you know, it's really hard, you know, you, you get a dance studio for a residency for a period of time. It could be two weeks, it could be a month, um, but it's rarely that you have continuously a space. And then it's even more rare that you're working continuously in a space next to other artists working in their spaces. 
because we sort of rotate. So just this kind of feeling that I'm going to work to my studio and somebody else is going to next door. It's like it's a really nice feeling and, and meeting in the bar and having a beer at the end of the day or a coffee uh, and having a chat like it. it it's um, even just talking about like how do you use your time. It's, it's been really uh, informative for me and interesting. Uh, obviously, I don't have a dance studio. We have a really a lot of space, though. That's the, the lucky we have the corner. Um, but I use my I use my space a bit more like an office than than. Um, but I like I have some walls. I like to put stuff up. Um, I like to work on my computer and listen and watch stuff, uh, or have meetings here. Um, but I'm kind of yeah. I'm also I'm happy to have a bit of space, not just a desk, on the other hand, because um, uh, I will bring some more objects in <laughs> in the next while. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> we talked about it. You're getting a little bit, uh, you want the desire to do action. Yeah, um, I'm getting a bit. Physical stuff, yeah. That's also a consequence. Mm. I'm getting uh, the feeling that I would like to, to work more with objects, maybe. Or Are you working on something new already? Right now, uh, my next dance or like picker project will be in 2023. 2020, okay. Uh, so that's like years, another yeah. two years. Yeah, so I'm going to take a long time for it because it's a big, a big project um, with the Ictus Ensemble. So it's with, uh, contemporary music and movement. But yeah, in the meantime, I'm, I'm working on my PhD, uh, which I started in January, which is around dance in visual arts practices and spaces and the choreographic exhibition. So I'm right now, I'll be probably the next while just busy with that question actually of what is it to be working in art, visual art spaces? Um, how does my practice change? Um, how might it translate into other kind of outcomes? Uh, did you always wanted to do a PhD or did this sort of, it's an outcome of a long process? It's a... Because I feel like certain artists always have this in mind, like at a certain point I'd like to do a PhD, my practice may be more research-based, and then there are certain artists, or at it's least I know... It's quite a new trajectory for exactly, fine yeah. art, yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah. visual arts. I yeah. think it has to do with uh, Bologna, what do you call it? Yeah. Totally, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's in part... Um, I have this great professor that I had at Parts, and we now know each other for 20 years, and... Uh, He's um, Rudy Larmans. He's a sociologist and he's writing a lot about dance. And we worked together on his book, uh, um, Moving Together, which was a kind of analysis, social, so, uh, cultural and social analysis of dance and dance making. And I was one of his first readers. Um, and so it kind of just made sense. He proposed it actually, and I thought like, wow, that You're would be great. You're working with him on the PhD. Yeah, he's my he's my supervisor. So it's it's really nice because it's kind of part of our ongoing dialogue, and now it's kind of like formalized, you know. Um, so I think if it wouldn't be for Rudy, I don't know if I would jump into that. Um, maybe I would do it a bit later, but um, it kind of makes sense now. And. It, he will be retiring in a few years and devoting more time to writing about art and dance. So, kind of makes makes sense to meet now and do try to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Ulla. Thanks, guys. Ray.